Hello and welcome to this episode of Dallas Christian College's Leadership Podcast. We hope that you and your family are doing well as you start this new year, 2021. I'm your host, Scott Spees, and we are coming to you today from the campus of Dallas Christian College as we continue in our series of podcasts looking at current topics and events that are shaping our society, the world of education, and the local church. Today's episode is focused on a topic that I think is particularly relevant considering that we are entering the 10th month of the coronavirus pandemic. We are all very much aware of the extreme physical health complications as well as the economic impact of the pandemic. But an area that is sometimes overlooked is the effect that this has had on our mental health. So joining us today to discuss this topic is the head of DCC Psychology Department, Dr. Lindsay Neal, and the voice of the DCC Leadership Podcast, Mr. Mark Worley, Vice President of Institutional Advancement. I personally think this is going to be an incredible discussion, so I'm going to turn it over to Mark and let him begin our discussion with Dr. Neal. Thanks, Scott. I'll tell you, it's so great to have Dr. Neal with us because she is a a world-renowned expert in uh, the field of psychology and uh, you may detect a British voice because uh, she not only has uh, expertise here in the United States, but uh, Dr. Neal, you, you've got experience all over the world. And so I think this is a great uh, session to have. And so just just asking the simple question, what has been uh, the impact of 2020 on mental health? Well, as we all know, mental health has been a problem before the outbreak of covid And things like fear, depression, and and anxiety, and grief have basically created a sort of silent parallel pandemic and epidemic. So when surveyed, 40% of all adults, 40%, that's almost half of all surveyed, say that they've had an extreme adverse mental health reaction um, during the last 10 months. 25% of all 18 to 24-year-olds report that they've considered suicide within the last 30 days. That's double the year before. Um, At the very outset of the pandemic, Mark, suicide rates actually dropped. Um, And there's a sense that people thought, well, we're all in this together. There was a sort of camaraderie. But since then, that's changed. And at one point during the pandemic, rates of suicide or deaths by suicide were actually higher than deaths caused by the disease itself. Mm. So clearly we're dealing with a very serious and significant impact of, of mental health. And not only that, it's affecting our spiritual health too. Changes and disruptions in routines and traditions, um, a lack of contact with people that can offer spiritual and social support. And then also some anger and frustration um, at the situation and the uncertainty is also um, sort of eroding people's health in general. So the long-term consequences, there's, a, there's immediate consequences, but there's also long-term consequences with this sort of steady economic and social breakdown. Um, it's likely to have long-term impacts. Yeah, you know, we hear that quite a bit. And, and so, <clears throat> you know, as far as the downside, uh, certainly a huge downside of what's happening here. So why do you think there's been such an increase in mental health complaints? So we're social beings. We were created by God to to be relational. And one of the first things God tells us about ourselves is that it's not good for us to be alone. Mm -hmm. 
So to experience the kind of social isolation that we are is contrary, contrary to how we were created to function. So when you look at just physical touch, it actually impacts brain chemistry and brain activity such that physical contact from a loved one quietens the brain. It reduces stress. It actually acts as an analgesic. It, it's a pain reliever. Mm. That's physical touch. So though we've got a lot of people out here that have become um, sort of digital natives, they've they've um, adapted to things like Zoom and FaceTime, it cannot compensate for in-person contact. So part of the problem is the social isolation and, and what that's doing in terms of um, the, the biological needs that are not being met. And in 2019, uh, World Data reported that 28% of the world's population were li living in a single household, like single-person household. So that's almost a third of the world's population is incredibly isolated during this season. You know, I've heard uh, <clears throat> from from those who are in uh, nursing homes or assisted living facilities uh, where family members can't come in. They just can't be a part of that. And so I, I've I've heard over and over again where their health has declined in a massive way. So right. what what is the, the nature of the most prolific problems that are going on? Well, all of the mental health problems that we're seeing accelerated because of the pandemic really come down to stress, right? Whether I mean, anxiety and depression have always been the most prevalent mental health concerns, and that's continued to be the case during the pandemic. But what it boils down to is stress. So stress technically, uh, the definition of stress is the body's non-specific response to perceived threat. So what's key there is perceived threat. So stress and a sort of cortisol reaction, a physiological reaction in the body that it produces is caused by someone believing that there's something threatening. It doesn't have to be something objective or concrete or immediate. It can be something that uh, that we use our imagination to conjure that can create this stress response. The problem with that is that God created us with a stress response mechanism that was only ever designed to respond to immediate and real threat, so an immediate attack or a fire in front of us. The biological system that God created us with is not designed to sustain prolonged chronic severe stress mm -hmm. and so what happens when in our modern life and and currently with this sort of multifaceted stress that people are experiencing with financial loss relationship strain social isolation a, a breakdown of traditions and routines politics politics and the natural disasters it, the multifaceted stress is putting a toll not just on our minds, but on our bodies, they're connected. That's why you see people in nursing homes that are sicker. I mean, stress is producing premature death in people, not just by suicide. Yeah, that's so crazy because uh, <clears throat> this is so interesting uh, to me because uh, I, I know in in our case, you know, I mentioned politics and we're watching the news and the news is so depressing. I mean, there's just chaos and death. And so my wife and I, we're, we're just like, OK, we're not going to watch television. You know, we're not going to watch the news. And so we turn off the news and then then we're thinking, what are we missing? I mean, what's <laughs> happening out there that might be going on? So I, 
I think uh, our listeners, I really need to know what are some things that we can do uh, to mitigate uh, against these problems? I mean, okay, doctor, uh, let's <laughs> let's let's hear the solution. Okay. <laughs> What's well, a prescription? I, I, I don't know that I can solve that in eight minutes, but, <laughs> but I can suggest a few things. So um, you look at depression, for instance, and in the Bible, I mean, the, the term depression is a, is a modern con- construct, right? It was developed in the 20th century. But if you look at the Bible equivalent of depression, um, it's heaviness, sorrow, despair, crushed in spirit, discouraged, dismayed, heavy laden, weeping oppressed, brokenhearted, um, afflicted, troubled, cast down in darkness. The word, I'm going to try and pronounce this, Mark, I might need your help, exaspereo, um, it means to utterly be at loss, utterly destitute of measures or resources to renounce all hope and be in despair. So the word depression is a modern equivalent of this biblical word of to have lost all hope hopelessness is associated with depression and suicidality. So if we're seeing depression and anxiety, it's the depression part is because we've lost hope. Of course, those of us that are believers know that as long as Christ lives, we're never without hope. We're never defeated. So he is our hope. We don't look to our natural circumstances for hope. We look to him. That's the depression component. The anxiety component, anxiety is a disorder of attention, meaning the enemy has managed to divert people's attention onto something that is fear-mongering that we cannot control. He's using our imagination. It's an anticipatory emotion, right? It's not anxiety is not something that's being elicited necessarily by something that's real and immediate. It's, it's the thought of what could happen, what might happen. So again, our emotions are from God and they are good when they're used um, in the way that he intended them. But the enemy will manipulate those emotions and to get us to focus like he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, hey, over here, look at this one thing that you're not supposed to be worried about, not supposed to be touching. The same is true with anxiety today. The enemy will get us to focus on things that are negative and destructive instead of focusing on the source of life. And the Bible tells us to hold our imagination captive. God wouldn't tell us to do that unless that was possible. And what we're supposed to um, direct our attention to is Christ. Um, another thing I think is interesting, when you look at the, 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 the closest biblical word for anxiety in Scripture, this is what it means. It means to look out or care or provide for one's own interest. I'm going to say that again because I just think this is so interesting. The word anxiety in Scripture, it's different from the word fear. And it specifically means this, to look out for and care or provide for one's own interest. Mm, If we are anxious, we are concerned and caring and providing for our own interest. Well, the problem with that is that who's the caretaker? Are we or is God? So we've sort of displaced when we're anxious, we've displaced God as the provider, sustainer, protector, and caretaker of our lives, and we've put ourselves in that position. Well, that should make us anxious <laughs> because yeah. we don't have the resources, the skills, the wisdom, the power. Well, and I know leaders. in my own personal life, the times that I have gotten my attention off of me and I'm serving other people, 
interestingly enough, my anxiety, my fear, my sense of hopelessness disappears exactly. because I am serving someone else. That's and the Bible doesn't tell us not to fear. It just tells us who and what to fear, and that's God. Yeah. Right? So the Bible, and I also looked up some scriptures. Did you know that whenever, it often, when the Bible tells us, do not be afraid, it's followed by an action that God is doing or will do in mm-hmm. regard to us. So watch this. In Exodus, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God himself will fight for you. Do not be afraid. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sometimes it's not that what we're afraid of is invalid, but that we need to put it in the perspective of, yes, there's this thing to fear, but there's this great God coming right behind it Mm -hmm. that's willing to do something on your behalf. This is so interesting. In fact, as you were talking, you know, I mean, different scriptures were popping into my head. I'm thinking like uh, Matthew 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, he, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, that's the anxiety part. You know, I I think of Philippians 2, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Wow, you know, there's just so much there. John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet and says, you know, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Get involved in serving people and doing something other outside yourself. So many, and and the anxious, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition. Mm. Yeah. So another sort of technique that has both biblical and psychological um, sort of importance is something that we call um, experiential neuroplasticity. So bear with me on this. Big experiential. It is. But it, <laughs> when I break this down, it's useful, I think. Experiential neuroplasticity. There was an experiment that was conducted called the Griebel Griebel experiment. So some psychologists, some neuropsychologists like myself, created some odd-looking plastic toys, green plastic toys with faces that were just um, constructed of spikes, something that that doesn't exist in our natural world that no one would have seen before. And when the adult participants were exposed to these Griebels, they were unable to differentiate one from another. They, they were sort of blind to the differences uh, between these little greeble toys. But after three to four days of exposure to these greebles, everyone became a greeble expert, <laughs> meaning the brain had adapted and become specialized to processing greebles. Scott might have already guessed where I'm going with this. The brain changes every moment of every day based on what we expose it expose ourselves to and so what's happening like you mentioned mark we're fixated on the television we're we're listening to all of these news what's happening is whatever we're exposing ourselves to we're becoming fixated obsessed and specialized in our brains adapting to that and paying more attention to it so then the question becomes and this is as much to myself as it is to anyone else 
Are we spending more time in the word of God and in his truth? Are we becoming an expert in his word to counterbalance the the, the brain's adapting to uh, the world and what it's communicating to us today? Yeah, Jesus said it well. You know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your psyche, your souls, your total being. It's pretty incredible. I, I, I don't know if you have uh, other things to share. I don't know how we're doing on well, time. Well, we've got some time, but I, I want to share something and just get your reaction to it. I, I told people this, and, and as I was listening to your explanation, especially of fear, anxiety, and, and the things that we were encountering, uh, I'm the only single person in this room right now, and so, and I'm an introvert, and I enjoy being alone. But this has been way too much yes. alone time for me. But I told a lot of people early on in the end of March and early April, when when the pandemic and, and especially the quarantine was just beginning, that this so much reminded me of my missionary experience when I was in Moscow in '94, '95, '96, those early years. Um, and people were saying, well, in what way? And I said, well, just the constant stress of, of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you, you, you weren't fearful for your life in Russia. No, but I was an American in a foreign country. And no matter where I went, there was always the anxiety of something that was unfamiliar. And they said, well, how does that connect here? Well, Walking into a grocery store, I'm now wearing a mask. I'm careful about what I touch. I'm trying not to put my buggy down the same aisle that someone else is coming in. Did they clean the buggy? (laughs) Did they clean the buggy? I mean, there were all of these things. And I said, for me, it was exactly that same experience. Does that make sense in terms? It does, Scott. And it's it's interesting because... there's more stress elicited by the unknown and uncertainty than, watch this, than knowing that something bad is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Wow. I can your, see that. Your brain is constantly trying to predict, right? The brain wants to have a sense of control. And so when you, if you know something bad, if you, could, you know a surgery's coming, that is less stressful than not knowing what's going on in uh, the next moment. I don't know. I'm afraid of needles. So <laughs> well, I, it would probably be so. Bad uh, example, but you, I, yeah. So okay. it does make sense. Want to follow up with a question? I mean, you know, you're you're a well-known psychologist. I mean, incredible neuropsychologist. So, I I know that uh, you know, doctor, heal yourself, kind of thing. You know, it's it's like you you experience stress. I, I would think you know uh, you described all of the different types of stresses. Uh, Scott even talked about. I mean, you're you're here in a foreign country. To you, you're. Uh, married, you, you, you have financial, uh, you know, all those, uh, the, the, the culture here. How do you, uh, this may be a tough question, but Dr. Neil, how do you stop, you know, those thoughts? You know, it's like take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do you, I mean, you get, okay, you know, you're all, and then you, how does a doctor of psychology, neuropsychology go, okay, I've got to stop this? It's a discipline. It's a skill yeah. to catch to be self-aware first of all to recognize what is going on in my thought life and my emotional life right in this moment and then to recognize when I'm on autopilot instead of being led by the Holy Spirit 
So to stop and catch and think, okay, what am I feeling right now? And to sim- it's a simple question. Lord, how do you want me to feel about this situation? Or how do you want me to feel about myself? To recognize that the tools, the mind, the resources physically that we've been given are literally at his disposal and to so to use them as he sees fit. And it's really about submitting and subduing your will and how you want to respond to something and respond the way he would want you to. So it really is like uh, Paul said, take captive every thought to make yes. it obedient to Christ. Absolutely. That's it's so incredible. Uh, I mean, that 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 fits with science. Uh, the scripture is amazing in that regard. Right. Um, so, it, yeah, it's not only that, but it, it, it is a matter of saying, look, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, and that's been the greatest help for me as as a Christian is when I feel the, that anxiety welling up within me. You know, as you said, man, go to the word. Mm. Go well, to the word. This, uh, I don't know if you want me to go here with it, but if you actually study what emotion is, from a neuroscientific standpoint, emotion is a cognitive interpretation of a physiological arousal. Emotion is a cognitive interpretation of a physiological arousal. So if I have someone who's unfit run up and down the stairs 20 times, they're going to be out of short of breath, heart racing. But if I ask them, are you anxious? They're going to say, no, I'm just annoyed at you for making me run up and down the stairs. (laughs) But the same physiological arousal, shortness of breath, racing heart, can be perceived by someone else as anxious based on a different causation or perceived causation. Mm -hmm. The example I'm giving you is showing that our brain is interpreting a physiological or neurochemical change based on trying to predict what's caused that change. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of psychological experiments showing that what we take for granted, that I'm anxious and I should be anxious and this is why I'm anxious. No, it's actually your brain is predicting and we can control that. We can change that. We have control. And I, I, I think I see another podcast coming down. I do, too. Uh, I, I know how, that how we... How to take captive our thoughts. And, well, and that would be a really good one for the new year, especially. Uh, just starting well, fresh. And I, I think we wanted uh, talking about emotion. I think we, we were uh, going to ask Dr. Neal to come back and talk about love. Because mm-hmm. she's uh, actually working on this in, in a big way and done because a lot of Because of study. you. You had me teach on it. And when I did, <laughs> you said awesome. you should write a book. And I was like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Hey, thank, she's got, thank some, you. got some amazing thoughts on the concept of love. We well, need you, to have you back to yes, do that. Yes, you can look forward to that coming soon in yeah. our podcast series. But, uh, Dr. Neil, thank you. And the scriptures that you repre- uh, referenced in your uh, your talk here, we're going to put those on the podcast so you can find those. Uh, hopefully those will help you in dealing with this topic of, of fear and anxiety and stress. Just uh, and, and I thought it was fascinating that you began this with the idea that <laughs> this isn't anything new. We had mental health issues. We had stress. We had depression. We had suicide. We had anxiety well before the pandemic. It's just it has been exasperated now. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so um, thank you for for sharing that. You know, if you're interested in learning more about Dallas Christian College, as well as our Bachelor of Science degree in Psychology and Bible, we want you to check out the website at www.dallas.edu. We have several track options, and some of these may resonate with you, uh, including uh, brain sciences, Christian life coaching, human rights, organizational leadership, pastoral care and sports psychology. So uh, we, are, we are doing our best to change the world for Christ one student at a time. And thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dr. Neal, for being a part of this today. Uh, pray that you all stay safe and stay in the Word. Continue to look uh, up. Let Christ and, and God mold and change your life as you walk through this challenging time. And thank you for joining us today for DCC's Leadership Podcast.